Well, thank you, Pastor, and thank you, ladies, for that song. Glad we didn't miss that. That was a blessing, and uh, certainly good to see each of you here in God's house tonight. And as Pastor said, a little bit unusual schedule, perhaps, to have a Friday through a Sunday meeting, but uh, thank you for being in your place. God will honor that. Uh, He says in Proverbs 28, verse 20, the faithful man shall abound with blessing. And, you know, we often pray, God bless me, bless my church, bless my family. And God says, well, I can, and I want to, but you've got to be faithful. And so you're on the right track tonight to God's blessing because you're faithful. You're in God's house, and that's where we ought to be when the doors are open as best we can be. And I appreciate so much the opportunity to be here for these few days. Take your Bible. Let's go to the book of Psalms, Psalms 90, the book of Psalms and the 90th chapter. We're going to look at the entire psalm in the message, but I'll read as our text uh, verses 9 through verse 12, which kind of give the heart of this psalm. Psalm 90, and uh, starting with verse 9, if you will follow along with me. The Bible says in verse 9, for all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. It's a lot easier to spend money than it is to earn money. Now, as a child, it's real easy to spend money. Kids know how to spend money as soon as they can walk. You know, I remember as a kid, uh, my parents would take me to a store and they'd say, go play in the toy aisle. We'll pick you up and we're ready to go. And I remember they'd show up and I'd, I'd be looking at all that stuff and I'd have four or five things I wanted to take home with me. And my parents say, no, no, put it back, put it back. We don't have any money. We can't afford that. My parents used to say, money doesn't grow on trees. Well, duh, I knew that. That wasn't hard to figure out. You can't say that to kids today. If you say that to kids, it makes no sense, and they won't understand. But today you have to say to kids, money doesn't come from machines. Because if you tell your kids, we don't have any money, they'll point to a machine and say, well, go get some. And they don't understand yet you've got to put money into the machine before you can take money out of the machine. Now, once you get a job, once you start earning some wages, now you understand what it takes to earn the money that you spend. All of us are spending our life tonight. We are spending time in church tonight. We're not earning any bonus minutes by being here. We're spending time in church tonight. Someone may ask you on Monday, how did you spend your weekend? Someone might say, how are you going to spend your vacation? We are spending, as the Bible says here in verse 9, our days as a tale that is told. And the psalmist in this chapter gives us some wonderful reminders about this stash of cash we call time or life. He first reminds us about the source of life. Now, if you live to be 70, 
And this chapter indicates that that's the average lifespan of a person. Three score years and 10, a score being 20. So three of those plus 10 is 70 years. We understand that some people live much longer than 70. Some people live much shorter. But the Bible says here the average lifespan is 70 years. Now, if you live to be 70, you've got 25,550 days to spend. If you live to be 70, you've got 613,200 hours to spend. If you live to be 70, you've got 36,792,000 minutes to spend. Now, where does all that come from? Well, the psalmist answers that in verse number one. He says, Lord... Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. I think all of us tonight would, would understand that life comes from God. Our life is something that God has given to us to steward. We, we have a portion of time on this earth that God has given to us. And the psalmist reminds us here about this source of life, for he says, the one who gives us life is an eternal God. Look at verse 2. He says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. The one who gives us life tonight is an eternal God. Now, I'm going to admit something to you. I cannot, in my human mind, explain to you the eternality of God. I don't have the capability to understand it. In my finite brain, I cannot understand how something can have no beginning and no ending. But that's our God. In Revelation 1, verse 8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, which is, which was, and which is to come. God is everlasting. He's eternal. Now, I can't understand that. I can understand how something that exists today has the potential to exist forever, right? I, I, I can understand that. For example, this pen is a real object. It's a tangible object. I can see it. I can touch it. It's, uh, it's a good pen. It's a West Coast Baptist College pen. And I like these pens. If you come next week, Wednesday, you'll get one. But uh, uh, if, you, if you don't want to come next Wednesday, I'll give you one. But, but uh, it's a good pen. Now, it's, now it's, a, it's, it's a pen that exists right now. I understand that. And I can conceive of this pen existing for a long period of time. Not probably won't. I'll lose it. I'll give it away. It'll run out of ink. I'll throw it away. But it has the potential. If I wanted to, I could put this pen in some kind of a, a, a vault or some kind of a container, self-contained, that would preserve it. I mean, we have things in museums that are thousands of years old. So I understand how an object that exists right now has the potential to continue to exist. But how do you understand that this has always existed? But that's God. He has always existed. He exists today. He will continue to exist forever. But he has no beginning. He has always existed. Now, my brain can't wrap itself around that. But that is our God. And aren't you glad that that God, who is eternal, holds your life in his hands? In Deuteronomy 32 and verse 27, the Bible says that I am the eternal God. He is our refuge and underneath are his everlasting arms. I'm glad that God holds our life 
in his hands. He's an eternal God, but he's also an excellent God. Look at verse 3. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath we trouble. In the first couple of verses, the psalmist thinks about God and his eternality, his, his everlasting faithfulness in his life. But then as he thinks about God, he looks at himself and he says, wow. I'm like grass. Compared to God, I'm just, I'm just frail. I just have a short time. I, I'm, like, I'm like grass that grows up and withers in the wind. I, I just have a temporary time here. You see, we look at things in our life and we realize there's deterioration. But God is not only eternal, God is excellent. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. And aren't you glad that God's plan for your life is perfect? God has a perfect plan. Our eternal God has designed you in exactly the way that he wants you. And he has a plan that is perfect for your life. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Friends, if we settle for anything in our life less than the will of God, we're settling for mediocrity. Because God's plan for your life and mine is perfect. So he's an eternal God. He's an excellent God. But notice also in verse 8, he's an enlightened God. He says in verse 8, thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. Did you know God knows everything about us? Now, I don't know everything about you. You don't know everything about me. But God knows everything about every one of us. There's nothing hidden from God. We we can hide things from one another. We can conceal things in our life, even from those that are close to us. But we cannot conceal anything from God. Psalm 44 and verse 20 says, If we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, will not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. In Psalm 69 and verse 5, O God, thou knowest my foolishness, my secret sins are not hid from thee. Jesus said in Luke 12 and verse 2, There's nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. That which you have spoken in the ear, in closets, shall be proclaimed from the housetops. Why? Because neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The psalmist said, Whither shall I go from thy presence? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, the darkness shineth round about thee, the darkness hideth not from thee, the darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. 
Jeremiah said, can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Do not I fill the heavens and the earth? God is omnipresent. You can say, well, I'm never going back to church. Well, wherever you're going, God's going to be there. You say, well, I don't want to be around those Christians. Well, you can get away from Christians, but you can't get away from Christ. He's everywhere. Did you know that God even knows our thoughts? I don't know what you're thinking about right now. Your mind could be 100 miles from here. When I was a teenager growing up, we had a kid in our church. His name was Bob Gustafson. And Bob was one of two people I've met in my lifetime who could sleep with his eyes open. And uh, teenage, we as teenagers, we had a special section over here to the pastor's left. On Sunday nights, we could sit in this section over here uh, with our parents' permission. And we, we would often sit there right down front, this left side. And I would sit next to Bob. And Bob, when pastor would get up to preach, he'd kind of he'd settle back in his seat. He'd fold his arms like this, and he'd look right at the pastor. I'm sure our pastor thought, that Bob kid, he listens better than anybody in our church. <laughs> I sat next to him. He was snoring. Now, you could be sitting here, you could, be, you could have your eyes on me, you could be acting like you're listening, but your mind could be somewhere else, and I would never know it. But God knows our thoughts. In the days of Noah, God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great upon the earth, and that the imaginations of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. In 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 9, David said to Solomon, his son, Know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind, for God searcheth all the hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. In fact, in Ezekiel 11 verse 5, God says, I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. Wow. I've never had a thought God didn't know. I've never had an attitude God didn't know. I've never had a desire God didn't know. I've never had a dream at night God didn't know. He knows everything. He's an enlightened God. Now this God who is eternal and excellent and enlightened holds our life in his hands. He's the source of life. But secondly, the psalmist reminds us about the stipend of life. Now, when I went to college, I don't know that I could have defined the word stipend. I, I maybe had heard it, but I, I, I doubt it. I, I just don't recall that word being in my vocabulary very early in my life. I, I don't think I could have defined it had I known what it, what it said. When I went to college, I started playing football. And uh, in high school, uh, when you have football games, you have home games, you have away games. And in high school, at least where I grew up in southern Wisconsin, we'd have games away from our school that would maybe take about a half hour, sometimes an hour bus ride to go play a game. Occasionally, maybe about an hour and a half. You'd play the game, you'd get back on the bus, come home. But in college, we had games where... We'd go on the road for a couple of days. Sometimes a whole week we'd be gone. So whenever we had an away game like that, we had to load up all our stuff, all of our gear. We'd come out to the bus, and before we got on the bus, there was somebody from the finance office standing on the, on the ground as we got on that bus, and as we got on, he'd give each of us an envelope. And in that envelope 
was a per diem or a stipend. It was some money. Because in college, you pay your, your tuition. That covers your teacher's salaries, your, your curriculum, your fees for the labs and all that kind of stuff. That's your tuition. But then your room and board, that covers your, your, your housing. You're going to sleep in the dormitory. You're going you're to eat in the, in the school cafeteria or the dining hall. You're, you're going to eat your meals there at the school. So your room and board covers those things. Well, we weren't going to be there for a week. So we weren't going to be able to sleep in the dorm or eat the food in the cafeteria. So they gave us some money to pay for those things on the road. I was standing in an airport and uh, the plane was late and everybody's gathered up by the gate, kind of crowding up there, getting anxious, you know. And, and I was uh, just kind of surveying this crowd of people that I would be flying with. And I noticed there was one young man. He was just towering over everybody else. He was extremely tall. And I was kind of curious as to how tall he really was. And so I kind of, uh, kind of made my way over there toward where he was standing. He was on his phone. He was texting. And I kind of got up within just a few feet of him. And he was really tall. And uh, he stopped texting, kind of looked at me. And I said, uh, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, do you play basketball? He'd probably been asked that hundreds of times. He, he kind of smiled. and He said, as a matter of fact, I do. I said, where do you play? He said, I play at the University of California. His name was Scott. Scott was 6'10". And he played at the University of California. Well, we got to talking. The plane was late. We we got to talking, and I found out he was saved. Found out he was a born-again believer. In fact, his dad was a pastor of a church, a Bible church in Nevada. So now we had, we had some things in common. We, we talked about basketball. We talked about uh, uh, the Lord. And we just were kind of enjoying our company there, waiting for this plane. And, and in the process of that, I said, now, Scott, when you travel for the, state of, uh, for the University of California, uh, they, they give you a per diem. They give you a stipend when you go on the road, right? He goes, oh, yeah. I said, how much do they give you? I was just curious. He said, well, it depends on where we're playing. If we're playing in a big city like Denver, San Francisco, Los Angeles, something like that, we get more because it costs more in the bigger cities. But he said, if we're in a smaller town, we get less. But he said, it averages out to about $65 a meal. I said, $65 a meal? No wonder the state of California is bankrupt. Do you know how much they gave us when I was playing football? Now, I know this was back in the Old Testament, okay? But when I was playing football in college, they gave us 75 cents per meal. 75 cents. Now, now it was a different day, I will admit. When I was in college, gasoline was 28 cents a gallon. Boy, talk about the good old days, huh? Um, I, uh, I got saved at the age of 15, got saved at Camp Shatek up in northern Wisconsin, got saved at Camp Shatek. When I went to camp as a teenager, age 15, went to Camp Shatek, got saved. You know how much it cost for that week of camp? Monday through Saturday. I see your, your kids are going to camp. Monday through Saturday, the week I got saved, cost $13. $13. You couldn't feed these two boys one meal for $13 today, right? 
I was hanging drywall in college, uh, working a, a, a minimum wage job, hanging drywall, $1.10 an hour. That was minimum wage. After taxes, 97 cents. Never forget my first check, 40-hour week, $33. I thought I was rich. A different day. But they gave us 75 cents. And you could go to McDonald's. Now, there weren't a lot of McDonald's in those days. In fact, the, the, the only one I even knew of was in Milwaukee, about 40 miles away. But oftentimes, as we'd come back into college uh, uh, from a trip, we'd stop on Moreland Road there in Milwaukee. That McDonald's is still there, one of the first McDonald's in the Midwest. And you could go in there, and you could buy what we would call a value meal today, Big Mac, fries, and a Coke for 69 cents, including change, or including taxes, and keep the change. Did you know that God has given us a stipend of life? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. Now, all of us in this room have a birthday, right? Pastor, when's your birthday? May 12th. May 12th. So you just had a birthday. Mrs. Reno, when's your birthday? June 25th. June 25th. It's still coming up. Sir, when is your birthday? February 15th. February 15th. Young man, when's your birthday? December 14th. December 14th. And yours? October 6th. October 6th. Everybody has a birthday. Did you know we all have a death day? Now, we don't know when it is. But one thing we have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, is we don't die because we get old. We don't die because we get sick. We don't die because we meet an unfortunate accident. We die because it is appointed unto men once to die. Job said in chapter 7, Is there not an appointed time to man upon the earth? Are not his days as the days of an hireling? The eye that has seen me shall see me no more. Thine eyes are upon me, and I am not. Thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. Our story has an ending. See, we're spending our years, verse 9, as a tale that is told, but our story has an ending. My wife and I like to read biographies. And uh, she likes to read about women primarily, sometimes uh, missionary wives or pastor's wives or uh, sometimes politician wives. You know, she likes to read those biographies. I I have a little different taste in, in my biographies, but we like to read some biographies. And I've noticed something. They all have a last chapter. When I um, started at West Coast 25 years ago, we were just getting the college started. First year, I had 43 students in 1995. And uh, we decided after that first year that we should have a summer ministry team that would go out and sing like you're going to have next week, Wednesday night, we decided we, we needed one of those. I mean, all colleges have sing groups that go out in the summer, and we wanted to be like all colleges, I guess. And so we said, we need to put together a group that can go out and, and sing and represent the college. Well, we only had 43 students. I'm thinking, do we have any talent? I mean, I kind of figured the talent pool was a little shallow, you know. And so we had some tryouts, and some people tried out that could sing, you know, and play the piano and such. And, and, and we chose six girls. 
And uh, they, they really were pretty talented. Three of them could play the piano and they could sing and uh, three of, uh, two of them played the flute. They had kind of a, a multiplicity of their abilities and we put a repertoire of music together for them to learn and, and uh, started scheduling meetings every night, a different place, you know, where they could go for seven weeks throughout the summer. Got it all set up and then Pastor Chapel said, now get you're going to travel with them. I said, you're kidding. Me? With six girls in a van for seven weeks? Whoa. Now, these six girls were all extroverts. Now, I am an introvert by nature. I, I know you can't tell that from listening to me preach, but I am an introvert by nature. If, if, if I don't have to talk, I am perfectly happy. If you see me sitting over here all by myself, please don't feel sorry for me. I'm having the time of my life. I, I, I don't, I hate people. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I grew up with imaginary friends. Uh, in fact, my wife still asks me how, Bill, how Bill's doing. And I said, none of your business. But uh, I have a t-shirt at home that says my imaginary friend doesn't like you either. But anyway, <laughs> I'm an introvert by nature, okay? Well, these girls, they were all extroverts. Now, the female gender talks more than the male gender anyway. I'm just giving you facts now. Don't get mad. These are just facts. The average female says 25,000 words a day. The average male says 10,000 words a day. Now, I know what you ladies are thinking. That's because you guys don't listen. We have to tell you twice. I get that, okay? But, but women naturally talk more than men. But, but this just exaggerated that even more because they were all extroverts and I'm an introvert. So they, just, they were nonstop conversation. From the time we'd get in the van in the morning till the time I'd drop them off at night, they were just constantly talking. And I'm just driving and learning a lot. <laughs> well, when you travel in a van with six other people, you got to have some rules. I mean, you got to have rules. You got to be on time, number one. You can't be late. We got to get to the next church. You, if we give you a time, you got to be here on time, ready to go. You got to keep the van clean. You can't be trash in your spot. You got to keep it clean. We had rules. And if you broke one of those rules, we fined you like 25 cents or 50 cents, whatever. So we had these rules. Everything was going great. We were about three and a half weeks into this, this summer tour. And one day we had an early morning departure, 5 a.m. The girls were great. They were right on time. We got the van packed. We loaded up. We had a word of prayer. We pulled out of the parking lot, and one of the girls said, I have a new rule we need to vote on. I said, okay, let's hear it. She said, well, I've noticed that, especially in these early mornings, we tend to be a little grouchy. We, we, we tend to be complaining, you know, we didn't get enough sleep or we didn't get any breakfast or, you know, and we got this long trip. We tend to be a little bit grouchy. And she said, I just think we, we shouldn't do that. We should, we should be happy. We should be thankful. We should be grateful for the opportunity to travel and represent the school. And we ought not to be griping and complaining. So she said, I, I propose a rule that if somebody in the van is talking, and someone else in the van doesn't like what's being said, they can say, the end. And the person has to stop talking or pay a dollar. 
I like this rule. I like this rule a lot. I wish this was a rule for all of society. Well, we discussed it for a bit. I mean, and I thought, you know, this is a good rule. I mean, I can be grouchy in the morning too, and I can be tired, and I can complain, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to discourage these girls, and these girls should have a right to call me on something. I mean, if I'm saying something that's negative, they ought to be able to call me on it. So I thought, this is a good rule. So we discussed it like that, and, and, and we voted, and we passed the rule 7-0, that now if somebody in the end is talking, someone else doesn't like it, they can just say, the end, they have to stop or pay a dollar. So we go on down the road. And we had traveled for a while, and one of the girls, her name was Cassie. Cassie was an extrovert, liked to talk, good girl, very godly. She's on the mission field today with her husband. Her daughter's in the college now, in fact. Good girl. But Cassie was, um, well, have you ever had somebody tell you a joke and it would have been funny if they hadn't told it? That was Cassie. She was dull. She was boring. Her speech was without any color or vividness. She was dull. Well, Cassie started talking. She started telling this long, drawn-out story and I looked in the mirror, and all the girls were kind of rolling their eyes like, here goes Cassie again. And then I caught the eye of the girl who made the rule. She had a little twinkle in her eye, and I thought, oh, no. <laughs> and sure enough, she let Cassie go for about five minutes, and finally she said, the end. And Cassie had to stop talking. It was great. <laughs> it was phenomenal. For the rest of that summer, every time Cassie would say, I remember the time, the end. And Cassie would slink down her seat and cry. It was great. <laughs> you know, I see all six of those girls quite often. In fact, the one who made the rule is my daughter-in-law. But anyway, <laughs> I see those girls a lot. They're all serving the Lord today. And every time we're together, that story comes up, and we laugh about that. But one of these days, friends, we're going to be doing our thing, and God's going to say, the end. God, I'm not saved yet. The end. But, but God, I was going to invite my neighbors to church. The end. Your story has an ending. Your strength has an expiration. Did you see it in verse 10? If we so happen to live four score years, if we by chance live to be 80, yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow? The young people don't understand this yet, but as you get older, your strength begins to fade. You can't do what you once were able to do physically. The voice said, Christ, and what shall I cry? All flesh is as grass. The glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. You see, we're like grass that grows up and then withers away. Our strength has an expiration. The psalmist said, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. 
Right now, there's some basketball players playing in the NBA tournament. There's some baseball players out there tonight playing ball games right now. And, and when we watch those games, it's phenomenal what they can do. It's just amazing to me how fast, how quick, how high they can jump, the, th- the skills that they've developed in their life. But every one of those athletes knows they're but one injury away from it all being over. You see, David said, there's but a step between me and death. Our story has an ending. Our strength has an expiration. We have a stipend of life. Now, the psalmist reminds us in light of the fact that God is the source of our life. He he holds it in his hands. He's already determined the stipend of our life. We don't know how much time we have. But God does. And so the psalmist now, in light of those two reminders, in verse 12 says, So, teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. He now talks to us about how to spend our life. And he gives us some great thoughts here, starting in verse 16. He says, first of all, make your days count early. I'm sorry, verse 14. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Can I say something to the boys and girls, the teenagers, the single adults here tonight? Can I just get your attention for a minute, boys and girls? Don't wait till you get to high school to serve the Lord. Don't wait till you go to college to, to get serious about God. Don't wait till you get married to think about the things of God. Make your days count early. Solomon said, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Listen, there are a lot of people that are old and crusty like me that could care less about God, the Bible, coming to church. You know why? Because they didn't care about it when they were your age. Bad habits are hard to break. Have you figured that out? They really are. But say, good habits are hard to break. I started going to church nine months before I was born. And, and we were dairy farmers. We milked 50 cows every morning at 4 and every evening at 4. But every time the doors were open, we were in church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival meetings, missionary conference, youth activities. In fact, we even went to church when the doors weren't open because my parents were the janitors and we opened the doors. Every Saturday morning, I went to church to clean the church, mow the grass, shovel the snow, whatever needed to be done to get ready for the Lord's day. I grew up in church. Now, every once in a while, I don't know if Pastor Reno does this, but every once in a while there in Lancaster, Pastor Chapel moves our midweek service to Tuesday night. We do it on Thanksgiving week. We move it to Tuesday night. And it gives our people a little bit longer of a, a break there to be with family or go out of town, whatever. And it's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of neat. We, we, we make a big thing about it. Hey, Tuesday night, don't forget. We get an email from the church. Hey, it's service tonight, 7 o'clock. Don't be late. Going to have some good music. And we come and it's neat. It's different night. It's kind of an off night and we're excited. And, and then Wednesday comes, 7 o'clock. It's like, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> you can't go to Walmart. Somebody might see you. Supposed to be in church. 
my wife and I, we just go in the house and turn off all the lights, lock the doors, and pray that the Lord won't come back till 8.15 because we're supposed to be in church. It's weird. Why? Because good habits are hard to break. Boys and girls, listen to me. If you'll start reading this Bible, as soon as you learn how to read, you won't have any trouble making that a part of your schedule when you're 40 years old. If you'll start witnessing to your friends and inviting them to church, you won't struggle when pastor says, hey, let's go soul winning. If you'll give a little bit of the money that you receive in an allowance or from your birthday, whatever, if you give a little bit of that to the Lord and give some of it to missions, you know what? You won't struggle when you get a job about tithing because good habits are hard to break. Make your days count early. And could I say to those of us that are old, <laughs> older, Make your day count early. And we're not all chicken people. Some people are owls. They get things done at night. They stay up late. Some people are early risers. But regardless of what we are, can I encourage you to start your day with the Lord? Maybe reading the Bible isn't for you the first thing out of bed in the morning. Maybe morning, you know, you, take, you need five hour, five, five hour energies before you can open your eyes. I don't know. You might need a cup of coffee or two to get started in the morning. But whatever your condition physically, think about the Lord when you open your eyes in the morning. Let one of these songs we sang a moment ago, the comforter has come. Let let that roll through your mind a little bit as you first get up. Uh, Who are you praying for in the church? Somebody maybe that's ill or shut in. Get that person on your mind. Start praying for them as you first get up. Think about maybe a verse of scripture that pastors taught recently and think about that principle that he taught. And when you do that, your whole day will go a whole lot better. Make your day count early. But then he says, not only make your days count early, but make your days count in evil. Look at the next verse, verse 15. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Friend, just because the days are getting evil doesn't give us a pass. I I know these are are wicked days. And and it's easy just to kind of think, you know what, I'm just going to separate from this world and I'm just going to kind of get my family and my church and and I'm just going to kind of hole up here and wait for the Lord to come back. But God tells us to let our light shine. This is not the time to put our light under a bushel. This is not the time to put our city down in the valley. We're supposed to let our light shine. And by the way, all of the darkness in this world cannot put out one light. Now, one light can dispel a lot of darkness. If suddenly we lose power right now and all these lights go out, if one person turns on the flashlight on their cell phone, we'll be able to see. Because one light dispels a lot of darkness, but all of the darkness of this world cannot put out your light. So let it shine. Let it shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. See, God says, redeeming the time. But don't forget the rest of the verse. Redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. See, just because the days are evil doesn't mean, well, let's not do anything. Let's hold back. Let's just try to be safe. No, no. We're, we're, to, we're, to, we're to go out and let folks know about Jesus Christ. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, but continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So make your days count early, make your days count in evil, and then finally, make your days count for eternity. 
verse 16, he says, Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Ye, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Someone has said, if you want your life to count, live it for something that outlasts it. Well, what's going to outlast my life? Well, it's not this, because this is staying here when I go. So my material things are not going to outlast my life. It's not fame. I, I couldn't tell you who won the World Series four years ago. Seemed pretty important at the time, but I, I don't remember now. I mean, that stuff kind of comes and goes, doesn't it? So it's not material things. It's not success that's going to outlast my life. What's going to outlast my life? And there's really only one answer to that. And that's the souls of men. The only thing we're going to take with us when we leave are other people. So what on our to-do list has to do with that? You're probably like me. I get a lot of stuff on my to-do list. And some of it I put there and some other people put there. But there's just a lot of stuff on there all the time. But sometimes I have to look at that and I, and I have to think, now, what does this have to do with eternity? I, I know we have to go to work and we have to, we have to pay bills and we have to you know, enjoy our families and, and provide for them. And we, we, we've got responsibilities. I get that. But when it's all said and done, what's going to outlast our life? Several years ago, I was asked to do a men's retreat out at Camp Ironwood. Camp Ironwood's about two hours from our campus out in Newbury Springs, California. The retreat was to start on Thursday night at 5 and finish on Saturday at noon. Normally, a meeting like that, I would drive back and forth, only two hours away. And I do a lot of revival meetings during the course of a school year where I can teach in the morning and then drive and preach some work night and come back and go through the same thing the next day. But the director of the camp had asked me if on Friday morning I would do some workshop sessions for the men, which I gladly agreed to do. So I decided it would be kind of pointless to drive back home and then go right back out there early the next morning. And so I decided I would just stay at the camp. I'd get somebody to teach my classes and fill in at the college, and I would, I would stay out at the camp. They have a, a guest house there. It's kind of a little kitchenette, a block building, a little kitchenette in the front of it, and then there's four uh, bedrooms, and, and uh, they put the speakers in that, in, that, in that place, and I'd stayed there before. So I thought that, that'll work out great. So Thursday, I got some things accomplished and, and got some ducks in a row, as we say, to leave and, and uh, pulled out of campus right at 3 o'clock. Got to the camp right at 5. Well, the men were already making their way into the dining complex there for the evening meal. There were about 200 men there for this conference, and they were making their way in, and I joined them. I just went on in, and we had a wonderful meal, some great fellowship, 
And all of a sudden, the director of the camp, his name was Sam, he got up to the microphone. He said, all right, gentlemen, we got five minutes till the evening service. So go grab your Bible and head on down to the meeting hall. We got two preachers tonight. Brother Getch will preach first and we'll have some skits, we'll have some music. So get in your Bible and get on down to the meeting hall. Boy, he said that. I thought, whoa, it's already time for the service. I ran out to my car and I got my Bible. I had my message in there. I knew I was preaching that night and I got my message and headed down to the meeting hall. Well, at camp, you know, you have lots of time. You don't worry about the clock. We had skits and music and two preachers and we just had a great time. Finished up about 10, 15. I was heading out of that meeting hall to go back to my car and get settled in and the director, Brother Sam, he said, Brother Gatch, have you been to your cabin yet? I said, no, Sam, but I'm okay. I know where it is. I'll, I'll be fine. He said, well, I'll walk with you. I said, no, you don't have to walk with me. You got things to do. You got 200 men there to care for. I said, you don't have to worry about me. I know where I'm going. He said, no, no, I'll walk with you. Well, I felt bad. You know, he's got a camp to run and he's worried about me. And, but, you know, okay. So we head out of the building. We start walking up the hill. Now it's pitch black. It's like 10, 15, 10, 20, pitch black outside. You can't see it hand in front of your face. We're walking up this hill but we're going the wrong way. And I'm an introvert. I have to really think through this. Do I tell him, you know? I mean, we're going the wrong way. We're not going to where I'm staying. And I'm thinking, where are we going? It's 10, 15 at night. I want to go to bed. Where is he taking me? He's talking away, just talking away about the great crowd and the good decisions that night. And I'm thinking, do you know we're going the wrong way? Well, Finally, we walked about halfway up that hill, and he said, well, here we are. And I looked up, and under a little light was this cabin I'd never seen before. He said, now, Brother Gatch, this will be yours. He said, you can pull your car down here and just leave it here for the retreat. He said, everything in there is you need, that you need is in there. We've got a phone in there with all of our staff numbers on it. And if you need anything, just call us. But there's, there's a bathroom, there's a shower, there's a desk, there's a nice bed. He said, you should have everything you need. But if you need anything, just let us know. Here's the key. I thought, wow, this is great. I have this whole cabin to myself. I don't have to sleep up in another place and listen to everybody else snore all night. I got this place to myself. I went and got my car, pulled it down there, got my stuff out, went in that cabin. I was tired. It's about 1045 now. And so I just threw my stuff in the room and went to bed. Next morning, I got up and and uh, I didn't go to breakfast. I, I thought I better go over these notes. I was preaching four workshops that morning and, and uh, I wanted to go over the notes. And so I sat at the desk just kind of going over those sessions in my mind and, and praying, asking God to bless it. And eight o'clock, I went down and had the first session. Then nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Boy, by noon, I was, I, was, I was pretty well spent and I was ready for some lunch and hopefully some recreation in the afternoon. Well, I'm walking out to go put my Bible away and get to lunch. I'm walking up that same hill, and I hear my name. Brother Gatch, Brother Gatch. I kind of paused and turned. A guy was running to catch up. He gets within a few feet, and he said, Brother Gatch, I have kind of an unusual request. Well, I tried not to show it, but in my heart I was thinking, oh, no, I'm going to miss lunch. I've been here before. I said, well, what is it? He said, can I go in your cabin? Well, that was a little unusual. I was trying to remember if I made the bed. I said, sir. Tears were welling up in his eyes. 
He said, Brother Getch, did you notice the picture and the plaque in your room? I said, uh, picture? Plaque? I, I, don't, I don't guess I did. I, I got in a little late last night. I really didn't look around this morning. Uh, picture? Tears are now streaming down his face. He said, Brother Getch, your cabin is dedicated to my son. He was killed four years ago today. I said, what? What? Your son? How old was he? Fifteen. I said, you, you said he was killed. How? He said, Brother Getch, it was a Wednesday. And our youth pastor had asked the teenagers to sing that night in church. And he asked if they could come 30 minutes early to practice one more time before the service. Jacob didn't have a license yet. He, he was just working on his permit. But a friend of his in the youth group was 16 and had a license and a good family. And we were close. And he volunteered to come by and pick Jacob up and take him early to that practice so we could come later. He said on their way to church, a drunk driver hit them. and Jacob didn't make it. He said, Brother Gedge, at the funeral, people from the church, family, friends, they, they gave us cards of sympathy, and many of them inside had some money. We, we really didn't need it. We, we had a life insurance policy on our children. And it covered all the funeral expenses. And several weeks later, my wife and I were looking at this money that we had, wondering what we should do with it. We thought of the camp. Jacob loved it out here. He was called to preach out here. He would have been a freshman this year at West Coast, he said. He was so looking forward to coming and learning how to preach. My wife and I thought, let's, let's give it to the camp. It's kind of a memorial. He said, we didn't know it, but the camp had been praying for months that they could build a, a cabin that would be isolated from some of the other staff and speaker would have a little more privacy. They'd been praying about building that cabin and there was enough money to build the cabin you're in. And he said because it was a memorial to our son, they put a picture of him in there and a plaque. And because it was four years ago today, I, I, I just wondered if I could go in there for a minute. We were at the door now, and I was opening it and pushing it back, and I put my Bible inside on a chair, and I said, Sir, you go on in. Just, just go on in. Take your time. I'll wait out here. I sat down on that porch and waited. I'm sure it wasn't more than 10 or 15 minutes. It seemed longer, but I'm sure it wasn't. Pretty soon he emerged from the door, kind of wiping some tears, and I said, Sir, you can come back anytime. While I'm here, this cabin's yours. If you want to come tonight, tomorrow, anytime I'm here, you just knock, I'll get out. He thanked me and he went on to lunch. Well, now I wanted into that cabin. I walked in and there on the, on the wall, right across from the bed, if I had left the light on and just laid back in the bed, I would have seen it the night before. There's a picture of Jacob and a plaque. And here's what it said on the plaque. 
in loving memory of Jacob Ryan Castro, 1990 to 2005. Jacob was a camper and is now in heaven. To God be the glory. This plaque is here to remind each reader that every camper has a soul and that every soul will spend eternity somewhere. Nothing in this world is as important as the people you meet. One soul is worth more than all the world's treasure. For what is man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? One is worth more than all. And friend, if that's true, and it is, then if you're here tonight without Jesus Christ, your soul is worth more to God than everything in this world. And he loves you so much that he sent his own son to die in your place so you could live forever. And Christian, if one soul is worth more than the whole world to God, do some priorities on our to-do list need to change? to reflect what's going to outlive our life? What on our to-do list has to do with eternity? C.T. Studd said, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, we want to all thank you tonight for the life that you've given us. We're in the midst of it. We don't know at what point on the timeline of life we are at. We may be close to the beginning. We may be close to the end. Our age really has nothing to do with that. For Lord, you've given us a stipend of life that you and only you know how long it is. And so, Lord, help us to number our days that we might be wise. I pray, Lord, if there is someone here in this room or listening to my voice tonight that does not know you as Savior, Lord, they would recognize how important it is to not put that off until tomorrow. For tomorrow may never come. And so may today be the day of salvation for them. And Lord, for us as your people, we're so busy. We have so many things to accomplish and do that are good. They're certainly not wrong. Help us to live in light of eternity. Help us to rearrange our priorities, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Lord, all the other things will find their place. And so work in these moments of invitation, I pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you to stand quietly if you can. I'm going to ask our pianist to, to come and play. As the music plays tonight, if God has spoken to your heart, we took a moment at the beginning of the service to ask him to work in our life. And if he has, then let's respond to him now. The altar is open. There are folks available to pray with you, to speak with you. You do not know the Lord is your Savior. There's someone, no doubt, very near you that you can turn to and say, could you help me? 
You're certainly welcome to come and meet Pastor here and say, Pastor, I, I need to settle my eternity. 